The following is a Westminster Seminary, California morning devotion given by a guest speaker. The statements, views, and opinions presented in this message are those of the speaker and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Westminster Seminary, California. For more information about Westminster Seminary, California, visit us online at wscal.edu or call 888-480-8474. That's online, wscal.edu or call 888-480-8474. 8474. This morning's devotions is going to come from Habakkuk chapter 3, primarily looking at verse 17 uh, and 18. I'll be surveying kind of the whole book as we go along, but uh, primarily in focus is verses 17 uh, and 18. Habakkuk chapter 3, hear now the word of the Lord. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, The produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. So I recently got to preach through the book of Habakkuk, uh, and there's a lot of great stuff in this book. But there was something that kept on plaguing me as I studied this book. I kept on wondering, how was it that Habakkuk got to a place where he could say, this thing, say these things? It's especially when you read uh, Habakkuk that you see that there's a lot of pain and suffering present in this book. It's reflected in Habakkuk himself and what he's already experienced and what Israel has experienced. It's also reflected in what he, what he sees as God tells him that the Babylonians are coming. There's a lot of pain and suffering that he, that he speaks about. And then yet here he still says, come what may. And this is especially striking when you see what he says here in comparison to what his disposition is like Throughout chapter 1 and at chapter 2, at the beginning of chapter 2, you see what looks to be a defiant prophet who's angry. And then here we see him say, come what may. So I want to quickly look at uh, Habakkuk the prophet and what he said. And then again ask the question, how does he get to a place where he has said these things? In Habakkuk 1... And one through four, Habakkuk brings an initial complaint to God. As the prophet, he is the, uh, the mouthpiece for God to the people and the people to God. And so far, he's seeing justice perverted. Second Kings 21 gives a picture of some of the things that he's seeing. King Manasseh has sacrificed his son. He's seeing witchcraft and sorcery go in place of worship in the temple and sacrifices being made on the high places. He's seeing the many gods of the nations being worshipped by their idols. This is not what the law of Moses had in mind. Where was the true worship of God? Where was the peace and the prosperity that was supposed to come by obedience to the law. He is only seeing death and destruction of the poor and the weak. The rich and the powerful are getting away with murder. 
And Habakkuk, he's, he's tired of it. He's sick of it. Habakkuk goes on to bring the charge of covenant violation against the people. The people have not obeyed, and they need to be corrected. The violence has to stop. So in verses 5 through 11, God answers Habakkuk, and he answers him with the Babylonians. The only problem was God's solution was definitely not what Habakkuk had in mind. God tells him, hey, guess what? I'm going to be sending ISIS in to clean up. <laughs> God then proceeds to describe how horrible the Babylonians were, how terrifying they were when they would get there. In 12 through 17, Habakkuk responds to God's word with another complaint. But this time, Habakkuk is questioning God's sense of justice. How on earth could God allow a people so perverse to come in and judge the people of Israel? How could he allow them to come in and wipe them out? This makes no sense. It's totally absurd. Habakkuk then goes to his watchtower. As Habakkuk had worked himself up into a frenzy, but at this point, his complaints are now at a fever pitch. Chapter 2 says, the beginning there, I will take my stand at my watch post. A defiant Habakkuk is dangerously close to saying, to charging God with injustice. And he's taking such a familiar tone that you think that he's forgotten that he's talking to the almighty creator of the universe. Now keep this picture of Habakkuk in mind. An angry and frustrated man, practically shaking his fist at God. Now what would God do to such a person? How does God speak to one who is in such gut-wrenching agony? Well, this is what he tells Habakkuk. The righteous shall live by faith. So God has told Habakkuk that a way to, to, to survive is by believing in the promises of God. But can you imagine the pain and the suffering that Habakkuk has already experienced and God tells him there's going to be more to come and God tells him just keep on believing. Was it simply God revealing that Habakkuk got faith and that's what gave him life? Or is there something more here? Well, obviously there's something more because there's chapter 3. In chapter 3, God reveals himself to Habakkuk as the great, almighty, divine warrior. This is a picture of terrifying beauty. Habakkuk sees God in a full array of weapons and warrior-like aggression. God moves into position to bring devastation on all of his enemies. In chapter 2, God had told Habakkuk that he was going to judge the nations. So here in chapter 3, Habakkuk watches it unfold just like when he, what it will look like when he does. In full surround sound cinematic glory, Habakkuk is immersed in the experience of what it's going to be like when God brings judgment on all of his enemies. Here there are images of complete 
and utter ecological devastation. Mountains are turned into dust. The sun and the moon and the stars are stopped dead in their tracks. There are images of the ancient serpent who is slaughtered and butchered as God brings his weapons to bear to bring an end to the old foe. Everyone who has ever rejected the reign of the one true king, they all fall by the sword of God's righteous judgment. And in verse 16, Habakkuk describes his visceral response to witnessing such carnage against the enemies of God. He says, I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Habakkuk, he's gripped by fear of the almighty God. Earlier in the book, Habakkuk had charged God for not acting. But now that he sees what God does when he acts, Habakkuk is left to stuttering. Then as the scene goes quiet and the vision ends, here Habakkuk utters his statement of faith. God had said, the righteous shall live by faith. And now by this vision, Habakkuk utters his statement of faith. I'll read it again, verses 17 through 18. Though the fig trees should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Now, it's important to note that what Habakkuk is describing here is the curses that were described in Leviticus 26. So Habakkuk is saying, even though I would experience all the curses of God, even though he slay me, as one author would say, God is my salvation. The Lord himself is enough. So as I asked in the beginning, what took him from being an angry and a bitter and a defiant prophet to now saying, come what may. I would suggest to you today, it was the terrifying beauty of the Lord. The prophet was awestruck and made silent before God. As big as Habakkuk's problems were, and they were huge, they were microscopic in comparison to the immensity and the stature of the divine warrior that Habakkuk has seen. As I mentioned earlier, that I recently preached through the book of Habakkuk, what I didn't mention was that this came at a time when my family and I learned that my mom was diagnosed with cancer for the third time. They said that it was incurable. So it's in this context that I begin to ask how can somebody go through something like this that can face death and be able to say, come what may? Is it simply just keep on believing? Or is there something more here? Again, I would suggest that it's by seeing the terrifying beauty of the Lord that we can face whatever, whatever come what may, we can face it. 
We are all going to face things in life that are huge problems if we haven't already. So how do we face pain and loss? How do we face death either of ourselves or of our friends, of our family? We do so by seeing the terrifying beauty of the Lord. How do we go from here? We go from here to place of school and we're now... Some of us, we're going to be graduating. Some of us won't be graduating. We'll be going into the summer for another year. How do we go from here and face everyday life's problems and situations? We do it by being awed by the love and justice of God that was displayed on the cross. It was on the cross that terrifying beauty hung. It was on the cross that Christ displayed his array of weapons as mangled flesh, as punctured flesh, as naked skin lying there, hanging there on the cross. This is how we say, come what may. We can be convinced of God's terrifying beauty that it was displayed for his people on the cross. It was displayed for you and I on the cross. This is how we can say, come what may. We can also look forward and take comfort. That day when Christ, when he once again will display his terrifying beauty, the divine warrior will once again come and right all wrongs. Every disease that has cut life short, it will come under judgment. Every injustice will be judged. Everything that has ever harmed you will be judged. The King of glory, he will come and he will be our comfort. So like Habakkuk knew that he still had to face trouble. Like our Lord, in the Garden of Gethsemane, who would be able to say, not my will, but your will be done. Let us also be captured by the terrifying beauty of our God. We have proof in Christ's death, resurrection, and ascension that when we face life's heartaches, they are not our end. As some of us go from here, again, some of us graduating some of us going into ministries, some of us going into the great unknown. What's next? We don't know. <laughs> some of us may be going and working a nine to five. No matter what you're going into, no matter what you're facing, it's by, the, by observing, by knowing, by realizing the terrifying beauty of the Lord that is displayed to us here in God's word that we can be convinced that we can face whatever come our way. And for those of us going into ministry, it is what we ourselves need to be gripped by. It is what our brothers and sisters who are sitting in the pew need as they face their day to day. It is to be gripped by the terrifying beauty of the Lord, to be convinced that the love of our God has been so amazingly displayed for us on the cross that we can say, come what may. Amen. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this time and opportunity to reflect on your word. We thank you that you have displayed your terrifying beauty to us 
in your Son, Jesus, who would come and die for us. We thank you that you have also promised that you will come again and that we can hold on to this promise to get us through this life. We do ask that you would be with us as we finish out the rest of this semester, that those of us writing papers and facing finals, that you would uh, continue to give us wisdom and perseverance to the end. We ask that you would bless the professors as they also seek to teach us and guide us to know your word better. We ask that you would uh, continue to be with our families and our friends, that they too would know the beauty that you have displayed to us. We do love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Copyright 2017, Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way and that you do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this document on our website is preferred.